Hi, I'm Stu Baca, and I'm a Gen X grown-up, and I support Gen X grown-up on Patreon, and you should too at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown-Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. Welcome back, podcast listener, to the Drawn and Panel podcast. This is episode 11, and with me as always today is Jason. Hey, everybody. And wow, today, episode 11. I know, right? <laughs> Lucky number 11, and like in craps, we would be winning right now. This would oh, be awesome. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> We've got a, quite a few things to talk about today. We've got a great roundtable with a great creator coming up in a little while. we got some really cool stuff in the What's Happening segment. But before we get into all of that, Jason, you and I have done a little bit of traveling recently. We have been some men about town. We have been very busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we went to a couple of conventions recently. We went to Pensacon over in Pensacola, Florida a couple of weeks ago. Right, yeah. Pensacon is a moderate size convention. It's somewhere in between your local toy fair and a Megacon. It's kind of yes. in between those two, right? I think that's a good estimation. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about Pensacon is the area doesn't really have what you would consider to be a convention center. It has an arena where mm-hmm. somebody might have like a college basketball team or an indoor soccer group or something like that. Right. But it doesn't have a convention facility as a part of that. Everything is just the what you would call the arena floor. That's where the dealer's room is. And it's really crowded because they they must get between, what did you say, three, 4,000, 5,000 guests at this thing? Yeah, if not more, but it, yeah. Yeah, it's packed. and <laughs> it's, it's really packed, and that's what makes it very difficult. I enjoy Pensacon. I think the people who run it are really great. Unfortunately, I think the facility of the city aren't big enough to hold what they've created. I, I hate to say it, but I think they might have to move Pensacon to another city and rename it if they want to grow at all, because I don't think they have any room there. I, they don't. I, I've heard that has been going on for years, ever since they've kind of outgrown themselves, that I think there's a plan to build a new center, but that's still some years off. Um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to they're going to do, but the city is a hundred percent behind Pensacon. I think, you know, they love them, ha- you know, having them there all the time, you know, the restaurants downtown oh, have right, themes yeah. and do after parties and the pen- the airport changes its name to the intergalactic space station. And Oh, so did it? I, I didn't know that. <laughs> the, there was one year I had to pick up a friend from the airport and I noticed that they had changed the name, but yeah, the city is a hundred percent behind it. So Hopefully they can work something out where it can stay in Pensacola. Now, on the opposite end of that was Infinity Con. And I don't mean opposite in like Infinity Con was bad because Pensacon was decent. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the opposite end of size, Infinity Con is one of the small local conventions that are here in North Florida. It's out of Lake City. They probably entice, what would you say, 500 over the weekend, maybe a thousand? Yes, I think about 500 to a thousand is about right. Yeah, it's a smaller convention. It's in an armory there in Lake City, the National Guard Armory. They have the dealer's room. They also have a little back hallway that has a panels room. They have an outside venue as well where they have some other vendors and the food operators and stuff. Unfortunately, this year on the main day Saturday, that kind of got rained out. Yeah, it got hit, (laughs) hit hard on Saturday. 
One thing I do appreciate about Infinity Con, all of their booths for people like us, which we had a booth there for Gen X Grown Up and for Scout Comics, huh. they're all 10 by 10 booths. So there's plenty of room for the vendors to maneuver around, set up their stuff, display their wares. Infinity Con, they do it right. They treat their vendors wonderfully. They Absolutely. treat their guests wonderfully. They have a couple of celebrities there every now and then. Like this year, they have Bob Layton. He was the main guest celebrity who he was a big Tom drawer of Iron Man right. and some other stuff. I mean, it was really good. What did you think about Infinity Con? I liked it. This was my third or fourth year going. I echo what you say. The, the guys that organize it are great people, very kind, uh, accommodating. The space was nice. Uh, it was a it was a good time. I enjoyed uh, talking with the other vendors, looking around uh, at what was going on. I even enjoyed watching your son compete in the uh, Smash Brothers tournament. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and fortunately, he was able to compete by himself without the hindrance of having to play doubles with me, which would have just killed any chance he had of doing any, anything decent to tournament. He actually almost made it to the pay round. He was in the quarterfinals when he got eliminated. Very cool. So yeah, he enjoyed it quite a bit. They find little ways to have something there for almost every age group. They have like a little kids convention area over to the side, which this year had a Harry Potter theme, which was really cute. They have all the vendors there who sell everything from comic books to craft wares to every kind of thing in between. Then they have really fun panels, you know, about things like podcasting and comics creation and uh, what they they did a face-off contest this year. They did a costume contest. I mean, they really put on a lot of stuff and we're very fortunate. We live here in Tallahassee, Florida. They're actually going to do a one-day convention here in Tallahassee this summer. Yes, that's uh, that's very exciting because we need something like that in Tallahassee. We haven't really had anything like that. No, I mean, we have little things here and there, Yeah, but they're not run by people who really care about the culture, the geek pop culture thing that these conventions should care about. Right. And the Infinity Con guys, they really do. They do it upright. So I'm looking forward to them being here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with all that said, let's jump into the show. Let's go. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman. there, Drawn and Paneled Podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo, Hey everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up, grown up. George, what's happening? Well, I don't know what's happening. Why don't you tell me what's happening? You're usually the guy in the know. What's going on? Well, 
Uh, Aspen Comics, uh, they're famous for Michael Turner's Fathom. Well, Fathom is returning in May with a new creative team. Oh, wow. Okay, so now this is the press release that we received from them, and you have an article up on the Gen X Grown Up website about yes, it, right? you can check that out at genxgrownup.com and read all about it, but they are very excited. It was the flagship title for Aspen Comics uh, several years ago. Michael Turner was a famous artist. A lot of people liked him. He passed away a while back from cancer, but his art still lives on. And there's a new team coming aboard to kind of push uh, Fathom back into the forefront now. There has been a war of attrition as of late on the comic book television show industry. Netflix has pretty much all but canceled every single thing they have. Well, they've canceled every single thing they have. They've got one more season of Jessica Jones to right. air. It looks like CW might be going down the same road. Uh-oh. They have... St- announced that season eight of Arrow, right now Arrow is in season seven, Mm -hmm. but in season eight, that will be the final season of Arrow. No more Arrow on the CW. But this kind of scares me. CW kind of lives and dies in my eyes by these comic book TV shows. They're done after season eight on Arrow. There's a lot of interactivity between the shows. I don't know what that means for the rest of them, but there's four shows. They brought Supergirl over from, I think it was CBS that she was on originally. So they have Legends of of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They have The Flash, mm-hmm. they have Supergirl, and they used to have Arrow. I, I hope well, that we're not going to see the end of these because I think CW does a great job with these shows. What else is going on in the world of comic? DC has released a new novel, uh, Mara Tidebreaker, from their DC Inc. imprint. And now Mara is, as most of you know, the wife of Aquaman. Uh, this, right, yeah. This sounds like a fun little book about, I think, her you know being a princess in this other kingdom and, you know, kind of a young heroine type adventure. And DC Inc., I'm looking it up. It's, you know, a a novel or kind of an imprint now for young readers and middle age, middle school aged kids uh, to read about the different (laughs) heroes. I thought you were going to say middle aged kids. I was like, wow, I'm a middle aged kid. This book is for me. That's right. You're a Gen X grown up. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I mean, it sounds great. I loved Mira in the Aquaman movie, which I finally got to see recently. Awesome. Finally. Good. (laughs) I know. Right. It took me a while. Yeah. She's Uh, she's um, a great character. Yeah. I thought the actress really did a good job with the role. So it's nice to see that they're furthering that character. I hope that, uh, you know, maybe the character can get its own title at some point. I, I think there's enough meat on the bones there for that. She certainly, at least from the movie, felt that way to me. I agree. I've I've been a fan of Mara for a while, and a lot of people think of Batgirl or Wonder Woman when they think of DC, but DC has a lot of strong female characters, and Mara is one of many. Absolutely. Now, Jason, I got a special surprise for you right now, sir. What is it, a raise? Well, yeah. You know, last time I doubled your pay, this uh, time I'm going to triple it. <gasps> no. <laughs> so... <laughs> Normally, we announce our guests during our roundtable segment, but today I've got a special thing that I want to finish out the what's happening segment with that I want us to talk about, and I felt it was imperative to have our guest have a chance to weigh in on the topic. So I'm going to announce that today's guest is Joel Rodriguez. Joel, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing good, George. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely, buddy. For those of you who don't remember, Joel has done a back issue with us before. He's coming on today because he's got a book that's on Kickstarter that's kicking butt. It funded in the first 10 hours, which is awesome. 
awesome. It's a lot of fun and everything. And we're going to talk about Dust County Chronicles in the roundtable segment when we get to it. But Joel, before we get there, I got a question for you. What you got, George? You, I'm assuming, have been to a local comic book shop. All the time. Yep. <laughs> right? Jason, I know you have because we go to the same local comic shops here in town. Yes. Yep. I got a problem with local comic book shops. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The one thing a local comic book shop should do well to keep themselves invested in their community, in my opinion, is a pull list. Would you agree or disagree? I agree. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> and I get that they're in a bad spot, right? Because everybody knows that Diamond mm-hmm. and their distribution arm previews is horrific to work with, Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, at the same time, though, I have comic book shops here in town that I'll go and I'll say, I want these items on my pull list. And then they say, well, we can't get it ordered. It's it's not coming in. Our program says that we've ordered it, but they're not shipping it to us. And then other times they'll say, well, can you just find the previews order numbers (laughs) and then text them to us and we'll do it that way? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Okay, well, if I'm doing all that work, then why not just order from Diamond directly? Because I know that's a thing you can do, right? You can have it sent to your home. I found something that's kind of in between local comic shops and ordering directly from Diamond. These web-based comic shops. I'm sure that you guys out there in the comic world probably already know about a lot of these. I didn't. It was kind of a new thing for me. The one I found is called Midtown Comics. Mm -hmm. And what I really like about this is that they seem to have a database that seems to be tied directly into Diamond for all the the stuff that's coming up in the next week, the next month, they have a section where you can order stuff from previews, you know, like two months in advance, like you would order directly from Diamond, but you get like a 35% discount when you do it. Wow. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. If you set up a pull list, you still get like a 15% discount. And if you set your order up so that you get it just once per month and the order total is $75 or more on the pull list orders, shipping is free. Well, that's awesome. That's a pretty good deal. Right. And you get bags and boards all your comics come that way. The system is easy to use. It's online. I can do it from my phone. I can do it from my PC. I can do it from a tablet, wherever I have an online connection and a web browser. Is this the kind of thing that can kill local comic book shops? And I'm a little worried for that because I love my local comic book shops. What do you guys think? Well, the question that I have is, I assume you've already done some orders through Midtown. What's the quality of the shipping? Um, like The reason I ask is I used to actually get comics in the mail directly from Marvel. I was on their pull list mm-hmm. uh-huh. and they would mail comics to me and it was pretty cool while it lasted, but it didn't last very long because I, being a collector, I love of having my books in pretty good condition. I mean, I'm not asking sure. for 9.8s, but some pretty decent condition. And I just at least nine point something you'd hope for. Yeah, especially being a brand new book coming directly from right. Marvel. And sure, the post office is just a nightmare when it comes to comics. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one thing that I worry about a lot, especially being on Kickstarter, I'm. I've been doing a lot of research into shipping and different ways to ship comics without having them bent. And that's right. exactly mm-hmm. what I was coming across. So what's your experience with shipping in Midtown? Well, I have had a couple of orders. Uh, I've had a small order where I just got one book mm-hmm. and it came in a padded envelope, but it's bagged and boarded as well. So it's a little bit more protected than just a naked comic book in a thin paper envelope, right? It's okay. you know, padded bubble wrapped type or, you know, those, those padded envelopes that have bubble wrap on the inside side of them 
Yeah, you know what I mean? right, yeah. right, yeah. Right, the little beige, yellowish mm-hmm. looking envelopes. It has that, plus it's got the bag and board around the comic book, and it's one of those resealable bags. Okay. It's not, you know, the kind with tape or anything, right. which is nice. I kind of like those bags a little I bit better. Um, so I've had that experience. I've also had it where I've gotten like about 15 books from them, and that came in a box, and the books were inside the box, and they were wrapped in bubble wrap. Oh, okay. So do either of you think that web-based comic shops like Midtown can grow to the point where they end up killing local businesses in the way that Amazon has? Um, maybe, um, you know, for new comics, uh, they're definitely a good option. I've used them before, too. If I couldn't find something locally, I've gone through Midtown or a similar vendor. But, you know... People still like to go and kind of be able to pick up and look at what they're getting. Um, uh, that's a good point. And, you know, as far as back issues go, you can get back issues off eBay and My Comic Shop. And mm-hmm. I believe Midtown Comics, if you're looking for something in particular, but at the same time, it does, you're not sure what you're going to get. Nothing beats going to a show or a local comic shop and looking at, you know, what you're getting. Um, True. To, to that point, I think that half of the fun of going to comic book stores is not necessarily going for your pull list, but going just browsing the books, like Jason said, finding something that you never would have looked at previously. And then on top of that, just being with your type of people. With comic book um, fans in general, one of the biggest things for us is being able to talk comics. That's where the debates come from of who would win, Superman or Batman. Right. (laughs) Without a debate like that, we would never get, well, we would never get Civil War, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Good point. Yeah. And those debates typically come around in comic book stores where you go and you spend a lot of time, not necessarily shopping, but more so for the environment. And you can't, you can't replicate that. So it sounds like you're saying that the camaraderie of the environment that a local comic book shop can't be replicated by purchasing online, which I totally get. Now, my fear though, is that I think what drives most local comic book shops commerce are new comic book sales. Yeah. People come Come in and they buy an old issue because, like you said, they flip through the box and they found, oh, look, here's Red Sonia number two. This is awesome. Right. And they, you know, yep. grab it and it's four or five bucks. But I would say that they probably mostly subsist on new comic book sales. If those new comic book sales unfortunately go to places like Midtown, I don't know that they can keep their doors open regardless of what the environment is because they've got to pay rent. You oh. know, they've got to pay electricity. Yeah, that yeah, they're they're definitely gonna take a hit. It it's gonna be a struggle, especially Um, I think it's going to come down to the same debate that came around with the birth of indie comics or not indie comics, digital comics, Mm -hmm. because when digital comics came around, everyone thought that would be the death of comic book stores. And a lot of them did go under, but there's still quite a few up. So I think with these digital stores, it'll be the same exact thing where there's going to be stress in the industry. Quite a few of them are going to have to shut their doors, but I don't think it'll be the death of the comic book store. Now, there is the third option. There are the Walmart comic book local shop chains that are happening right now. In Florida, we have one called Coliseum of Comics. Right. I'm sure 
all three of yes. you, all three of us are familiar with them. Yep. They have shops in Orlando and Jacksonville and all over Florida. I also wonder that giant companies like that who have this huge buying power because they go and they just buy collections for nothing because they're like, well, we're the only thing you can sell to. You know, the mm-hmm. local comic book shop's not going to give you any money. So right. here, we'll give you this much for your per long box. And they get like thousands upon thousands. I've gone to several of these mm-hmm. Coliseum comics mm-hmm. and it's amazing to look through the back issues for like the era that I want to find, which is 70s, 80s stuff. And just to see like whole runs of new Teen Titans just sitting there at like four and five bucks a copy. And you're like, well, that's not too bad. I can finish out this set. And meanwhile, they've paid like 30 cents for it, <laughs> but they've got these big, beautiful stores <laughs> right. with all these great displays and they've got you know, they're really professional looking. I don't know if the local comic book shop feel still happens there because I don't live near a Coliseum of comics, but that definitely is something that coupled with these online places like Midtown, I think could kill the local mom and pop ones. As a creator, having everything switch over to Coliseum would be a nightmare for me because they are not very friendly when it comes to independent comics. So it's the same as a diamond. Exactly. They're more focused on what you can quickly turn, what you can Hmm. flip, make a profit off of typical corporate stuff. Right. Well, of course. Yeah. You can't fault them for that. It's what they do. They're in a business, but it's their business model. Right. Exactly. But at the same time, if you go to a mom and pop store and you say, hey, I'm a local indie creator, they're more than happy to take some of your books, put them on the shelf and see what happened. Well, there's no doubt that the local versus web based comic shops is a debate that we could probably spend 20 episodes on at this point. (laughs) Yeah, we could. (laughs) And then you've got the corporate Walmart Coliseum of comic style things, as well as direct from Diamond or direct from Marvel or direct from DC, all those different ways that you can get your comics, comicsology for the digital Mm -hmm. stuff, among others. I just wanted to bring it up because it's something that's hitting close to home recently. And I would really love for our podcast listeners out there to write into us podcast at drawnandpanel.com and send us your thoughts on the local comic book shop plight that is happening today. Do we need to keep these places around? Obviously, the three of us feel like they're in a vital part of our comic book heritage. Yep. But we need to hear what everybody else thinks because really, it's the whole group that's going to determine whether these things survive or not. So I'd love to hear from you guys. So write in podcast at drawnandpanel.com and give us your thoughts. And with that, let's jump into the round table. The young reporter found it impossible to escape without revealing his identity as Superman to Lois Lane, young Jimmy Olsen, and Police Commissioner Malone, who were prisoners in the tank with him. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Short Box Showcase but then again may have, about a father and daughter. Hi, I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Em. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity crisis. Lone wolf and cub. Hergé's Tintin. White tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. (laughs) It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman... Of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller 
is at the height of his creative and artistic powers, and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. Up to date on the drawn and paneled round table, we've got an awesome book from Joel Rodriguez, Dusk County Chronicles. This is an anthology series that's loosely based in other things that have taken a dark twist. Joel, give us the elevator pitch for Dusk County Chronicles. It starts with a basic question. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if Toy Story was a slasher? (laughs) (laughs) What about? Yeah, I've kind of wondered that sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wonder that all the time. And branching off of that, what about if Peter Pan required a sacrifice to enter Neverland? Ooh. Mm. So the du- okay. the Dust County Chronicles is, like you said, a horror parody mini anthology. So I take tales that we know and love from our childhood and I twist them into nightmarish versions of themselves. The On top of the two stories that I already mentioned, we have What If Superman Was Secretly Insane? And then oh, wow. <laughs> in Goldilocks and the Three Bears, what if instead of three bears, they were bloodthirsty werewolves? There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. That's that's normal everyday conjecture, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody asks that question. You know, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with me whatsoever. <laughs> um, so well, yeah, I got a couple of questions for you then. Okay, all right, because I know you created this book. I know you had an artist who did the art for you and everything, but this was your baby, your brainchild, and everything. I've read all four mm-hmm. of the mini anthologies that were in issue number one, which is as we've said before, already been on Kickstarter. It's been fun in the first ten hours. Congratulations yes. to you, first of all on that. That's just incredible and awesome. The question I have for you is, I understand that you wanted to get this out there. One thing that I found, the stories, because they were miniaturized, because they were all fitting inside a 20 plus page book, you know, there were four of them. Yeah. They felt a little bit short or rushed to me. I would have loved to have seen, like for instance, the Toy Story one. I would have loved to seen that as its own book. And then the other three also as their own books. And maybe it have been a, a four part series of anthology stories all set in that same type of thought process, kind of like Twilight Zone. You know, everything was in the sci-fi mm-hmm. weirdness thing. Yeah. Outer Limits was another anthology series that's kind of close to this. Yep. Why make the choice to make them shorter stories instead of spreading them out over several issues? Um, The biggest thing about these stories is that although they're short stories, they're not done. Um, With the Dust County Chronicles, all of these different events are taking place within the same fiction fictional county, the same fictional geographic location called Dust County. And although the story itself is self-contained and you get a beginning, middle and end, there's um, an open space for the characters to come back. And what I'm planning with this series is a collection of short stories. Um, Issue number two is going to be just the same with short stories, um, different short stories, obviously. But then all of these tales are going to be twisted together and fused into one uh, long form story, which will flesh out a bit more of the details. These short stories are 
intentionally meant to be quick, um, essentially quick and dirty stories to where you can hop in and get the point, get terrified, and then get out. Okay. Well, they certainly do that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially su- that Superman story. That uh, I really liked that one a lot. Thank you. Yeah, that was a good one. I kind of, I think I might have enjoyed the Goldilocks story more than the other ones. The Goldilocks and the Peter Pan, they were kind of tied for my favorites right yeah, off the Peter bat. Peter Pan was definitely creepy. Personally, I was bought into the stories as big 20-page epics. I like the movement that you're going with this as far as them all living in one geographic location and then building upon each other to something bigger later on. I can't wait to see where it goes. Same here. Thank you. Jason, you've got a book that's definitely got some twists and turns in it. Tell us all about The Girl in the Bay. Well, The Girl in the Bay is crazy. I didn't know what to expect when I was reading it. The best I can explain it is a girl that in 1969, during that kind of free love, uh, drug, rock and roll movement, uh, is murdered and thrown into the bay and then wakes up or comes out of the bay uh, trying to get home and realizes that it's been 50 years since she was murdered. Right. So we've got like a whole weird, murdery, time jumping scenario. Maybe it's an alternate universe. We don't really know. This is a really interesting concept. Yeah. That it's it's got a little bit of a quantum leap mixed with a Freddy versus Jason vibe to it. Well, this one to me, what what got me was that it it seemed like it was going to be kind of a ghost story, maybe where she saw kind of where her life, uh, you know, what people in her life did after she died. But it turns out that she may be in a different universe because she comes across herself as an older woman. Uh, Right. And there's no like implosion of reality. You know, we always, anytime there's time jumping, what's the one rule? Don't encounter yourself. If you touch yourself (laughs) or see yourself or whatever, the whole universe is going to implode upon itself because that's like a big no, no in time jumping. Yep. No implosions. No, she meets her future self. That's 50 years old and has children and everything else. And they, I think the worst that happens is she gets nauseous and throws up and passes out. That's Mm -hmm. about it. And I'm like, what the, how does that happen? But, There's some different characters. One thing that I found really unique to the book and different, they didn't focus on just the girl. That's the main part of Mm -hmm. the story. But I like how they're bringing around the murderer guy. He's not just a tool. Yeah. Like, I mean, he is a tool, but in the story, there is there's something substantive to him. He's really there. There's it's more than just he was just this guy who killed her on the dock and walked away. No, there's a backstory there that I think we're gonna see in the future episodes, the future right. issues. He's rather. fulfilling a greater plan. Yeah, I love that they keep hinting at it without spoon feeding you the details right away. Like there's a reason he's here, but you just don't get to know why yet. Well, and I love the tattoo on the back of his hand. That's something that I think is going to have significant importance. And I think it's going to, I think the tattoo, it's a yin and yang tattoo. I think that it's going to have something to do with the fact that he and the girl seem to be interlocked together, as well as the two people who seem to be godlike creatures that are around them. Yeah. There's this motherly earthly figure that's around the girl. And then there's this big blob looking creature. He kind of looks like the blob from weird science, that old yes. movie from the eighties that the brother got <laughs> yes. turned into. He kind of looks like that guy a little bit. I think that those two characters, they're very matrixy, like the Oracle and the control programs from the matrix movies. I think there's, 
there's going to be something there. That yin and yang flow thing, It's there's something coming with that. They're only up to issue number two that just came out this past week. But man, this is a really good book. Jason, I'm glad you brought it to oh, the yeah, round I'm, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, it's a good one. George, what did you bring to the round table this week? I found a book that asked the question, what if all reality ceased to exist, but humans had developed technology to trap themselves in a little protective bubble with a reality-based shield. It's called The Infinite Dark, and uh, some of it is very far-fetched, but it's comic right. books. That's what you expect, right? right? People yeah. fly around, people jump over buildings, and all. it's comic books, so you expect it to be far-fetched. In this story, the elevator pitch is multiple thousands of years in the future. Humans have spread across the galaxy. They live in you know different galaxies altogether and everything. They discover that the universe itself is disappearing. It's evaporating, mm-hmm. so to speak. And they don't know why. They build this arc called the Orpheus Station. All the other humans from all over the other galaxies are trying to race to get there, but only a select few actually make it before everything goes to hell in a handbasket. So there's like maybe five or 10,000 humans left on the station, and that's it. That's all of humanity. That's all of existence, not just humanity. Like, I was thinking about this. They don't really touch upon it in the book. There's not very very many birds or plants or anything like that in this station that I've seen so far. All that stuff is yeah, gone. You don't right? see any animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of wonder how they're eating, but... <laughs> Right. Yeah. You yeah. hope there's some replicator technology going on or something because <laughs> they don't really mention that. But I mean, there's no there's no oceans. There's no water. All of existence, everything you can think of is gone except for this station and what's inside of it. That's it. But then they take that and they twist it into a noir thriller with a murder. Yes. And I love noir films. I love noir stories. Black Dahlia this and L.A. Mm-hmm. Confidential that. Oh, I love yeah. that kind of stuff. And that's what issue number one kind of turned into it went a little different as the next two and three issues went down the pipe but i love that there was a murder mystery to solve inside the scope of this giant universal collapse that had already happened yeah it was a very eerie story to begin with with the the main characters just you know guilt over that she was supposed to protect humanity and all these you know you see all these ships explode and then just the shots of the space station in darkness there's no stars plant there's nothing and yeah it's just it's all, all gone. gone yeah i thought i thought it was a really really interesting take on the end of the world concept because there are so many end of the world stories this one's like okay i see your end of the world and i'll raise you end of the universe <laughs> <laughs> yeah end of the world hold my yes. beer here we go <laughs> yeah. i mean it was completely like on a whole different epic scale as you i mean the end of the universe how do you draw that how do you write that and they found a way to do it and they found a way to make it interesting they found a way to bring in an antagonist outside of the environment which i thought was really unique cool very interesting yeah i i love this book i'm definitely looking forward to, they did issues one through four seem to be the prologue to whatever the hell this story is going to be because at the very end of issue four it's like this is not the end it's just the beginning or some type of tagline like that i i think i'm going to be a fan of this series for a little while i'm not going to say i'm a huge fan of the artwork that was something Jason and I, you and right. I talked a little bit I, about this. The artwork, I think they could have done a better job. There are things like characters 
drawn to look very similar in silhouette and in profile. It's hard to tell which character is which. Mm-hmm. Female and male characters, same height, same build and everything. Mm-hmm. They're in these suits that make their, they don't have hair shapes to really help you judge and everything. And so no matter what perspective the artist draws from, it they kind of look the same in a lot of scenes. Joel, is that something that you as an artist, a creator, like I know that somebody drew the art for your book, but is that something you pick up on when the artist turns over a page to you? He's like, hey, these two guys need to look a little different because I want the readers to really know they're two different people. Yeah, definitely. Especially working on short stories, I have a very limited amount of time to introduce the characters. So they need to be instantly recognizable in the fact that if I show you a little piece of a character, you'll be able to tell what that character is. Because if there's anything that makes the reader stop and question something, it takes them out of the story. And then if I'm three pages in, I don't have time for in those next two pages to draw them back in. So Jason, was that an experience you had? It was. We we discussed it, but there was several times that I'm reading it. I'm like, well, who's who's talking? Who's saying this? Who's saying that? They looked alike in the way the shading was. You couldn't really pick up any distinctive qualities at all with with the characters. This is a good book. It's definitely one that you can put on your pull list at your local comic book shop, as we've had the long debate (laughs) on already today. Um, I think that it's worth the read. If you don't want to pick up physical copies of it, I'm sure it's on Comixology or some other digital platform, but I think it's worth it. I think it's going to be a good series. It has the potential. I could see this being done as a TV show, uh, which is something that I kind of always judge comic books by by now that comic books have entered that media so Mm -hmm. much that I always say, well, would this make a good TV show or a movie? If it would, then that gives it that extra kick for me. And I think Infinite Dark does that. Mr. Kent isn't here. What's that? I said Mr. Kent is gone. What, you trying to pull another one of your tricks on me? Oh, no, this time it won't work. This is the end. You're right, Mask. The end for you. Here I come, right through the iron bars covering the top of your tank. Up, up! The Via VHS podcast is changing lives. Here's some testimonials. Bill from Tallahassee, Florida says, I was able to quit my job and get a Ferrari, just like Magnum P.I. Sue from San Diego, California says, Wow, it really helped with my crippling depression. Thanks, Via VHS. And Tom from Charlotte, North Carolina says, It cured my genital warts. Wow. Listen to the Via VHS podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We've come to the pull list segment of our show. This is what we're picking up on new comic book day. And as always, we start with our guest, Joel, what are you picking up this Wednesday? Well, this Wednesday, as you guys know, I'm a huge Spawn fan. Yes. And (laughs) Uh Spawn Kills Everyone 2, number four, comes out this week. Uh, Is that like Deadpool Kills Everyone? Is that a takeoff of that or something? Kind of. It's a parody of the whole Kills Everyone things based in uh, the universe of Spawn. So it's like a little chibi animated Spawn. So it's meant to be kidsy and cartoony. And the whole the whole concept is Spawn goes around killing members of all the other universes. So you see him kill Captain America and Hulk and just doing it in these. How'd they get permission to do that? Well, he does it under parody. Oh, Oh, parody's allowed. Yep. He's doing it Hmm. under parody Um, because I I highly doubt he went to Marvel and said, hey, I want to kill off all your people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to work. Yeah, I don't think as so either. As big as McFarlane is, I don't think they're going to let him get yeah, away with it. Yeah, not that. really. Um, especially since, you know, he's number th- <laughs> or uh, Image is number three. They're number one. It's this big thing. So anyway, he goes through and picks these really entertaining and comedic ways of killing all these characters. So the, that's the final issue comes out this Wednesday. I'm really looking forward to that. But then outside of the normal distribution of comics, obviously being on Kickstarter, I do a lot of supporting of other indie comics on Kickstarter. And there are a couple that are going on this month that are really, really cool. Um, one of them is Nook, a that's N-O-O-K. It's a World War II ghost story. Hmm. So it's okay. it's a horror comic set in World War II with a girl and her family. They move as refugees into this house and it's haunted and there's a little creepy looking cat called Nook and I'm really excited to check that one out. Um, nice. And then one last one, there's a graphic novel that I thought was a really unique concept. Um, everyone's doing zombies nowadays. Ever since the takeoff yes. of The Walking Dead, people love zombies and it's really hard to do a unique zombie story. But there's a graphic novel on Kickstarter right now called Zombies We're Human 2. <laughs> and <laughs> there, nice. there's a little introductory story it's like 20 pages of this graphic novel where they show these group of people get stranded in a building your typical zombie setup yeah right but then instead of stressing out about everything they start looking at the different zombies and imagining what their lives were so then the, re- ah. the rest of the graphic novel are different short stories about these particular zombies and about their lives and everything well, we'll make sure that we get all of those Kickstarter links in the show notes. Jason will put those down below. Those are some good picks. That being said, Jason, what are your picks for this coming this week? This week, when I go to the comic shop on Wednesday, Assassination, that's two words, Assassination, number one, from Image. It looks like a fun shoot 'em up story. From IDW, The Max 100-page giant. I'm a big fan of The Max by Sam Keith. Mm. This is a... Uh, celebration of some of the best Max stories. I don't believe there's any new content, but it's just 100 pages of Max goodness. Also from IDW, The Transformers number one. This this one looks like it takes place mostly or at least starting out on Cybertron before they came to Earth. So that looked in- Ooh, interesting. No, okay. And I have a Marvel book, but I have a reason why I have a Marvel book on my list. <laughs> Age of Conan, Belite number one. Uh, Belite was one of Conan's uh, compatriots. Uh, she's a real strong female character. She's a pirate. And with Conan back at Marvel, they're starting to push out the Conan books. The reason I picked this this one is a friend of ours was a consultant on this book. He's an expert with the Robert E. Howard stuff, the guy who created Conan. Oh, okay. And he was a consult. He was consulted on the book. Cool. So, George, as always, what's in the allowance this week for your new comics? <laughs> uh, there, There's no money in the allowance. After that last one, I got hosed big time. I've been barred from picking up comics. So I'm just going to pick up a few. <laughs> but... <laughs> And hope for the best. Okay. Yeah. You know, first off, I'm going to grab Wolverine, the long night number three. This is a companion series to the podcast that was very popular Mm -hmm. a little while back. I'm also going to grab Hit Girl season two, issue number two. This is the Kevin Smith story of Hit Girl Mm. that they've started out and it's going to be four issues long. Little Bird number one. Very cool little book that's out there. It looks pretty interesting. And 
the freeze number four, which is a series that I've really enjoyed lately. It's a very cool. It's like an opposite take on a zombie. Instead of everybody trying to survive hordes and hordes of zombies coming at them, the entire planet is frozen and only one guy can unfreeze people. And as he starts to unfreeze people, he accidentally unfreezes a serial killer and nobody knows who it is. Yeah, it's a good series. Yeah, that sounds like it. And incidentally, he said there's a big story breaking. One of the biggest the Daily Planet ever handled. Well, I wonder what it is. We'll find out soon enough. What is the story Editor White is referring to? Will it lead Kent, Lois, and Jimmy into more danger? Don't forget to tune in next time for the thrilling beginning of a brand new Superman adventure. Is the world of today getting you down? Well, then why not check in on some of the good stuff that happened this week in movies, TV, games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago this very week with our show, 30, 20, 10. You may have seen NBC's TV movie, A Twist of Fate. A Nazi who became a Jew and for decades he got away with it. How could you do it? Ben Cross, Veronica Hamill, Twist of Fate. Can hear Sunday. Yeah. A Nazi who became a Jew. If we, oh my God, it's the reverse Stephen Miller story. <laughs> if we hadn't had... <laughs> now I have to see it because like the scene where they show him like a Nazi who became a Jew, that little clip on the YouTube video <laughs> is like the Joker's transition. Oh, he had plastic... The had story plastic, is he had plastic surgery. So what plastic surgery did you have, my <laughs> yeah, friend, to make yourself look more specific. Jewish? be <laughs> specific. <laughs> just, a, just a Nazi trying to do the right thing. Jump into the past with 302010 every Thursday on lasertimepodcast.com or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Five, four, three, two, one. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other episode to podcast at drawnandpanel.com. And that will wrap it up for this edition of the Drawn and Panel Podcast. As always, I want to give a shout out really quick to Joel, our guest, to give you a chance to tell everybody where they can find all your wonderful creations. Oh, thanks, George. Um, you guys can find the Dust County Chronicles live on Kickstarter right now. Um, just go to dustcountychronicles.com. That's D-U-S-K countychronicles.com and there you can check out the book there's a preview of the full first story and you can pledge even one dollar will get you that um, first story for issue number two on top of that you can also follow everything that I'm doing with my studio Metal Ninja Studios at Metal Ninja Studios on Facebook and at Dust County as well as on Instagram at Metal Ninja Studios again Joel thank you so much for joining us today Uh, thanks for having me George it was a blast being back i love it every time <laughs> <laughs> and jason as always thank you so much for joining me oh it's always my pleasure and we will see you guys next time see you guys later see you next time this podcast is an affiliate of the gww radio network Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. 
Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.